The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Although we're not going to be talking much today about um, saving grace and and uh, Christ's righteousness and so forth, um, the the uh, Romans chapter three concludes that way, right? It concludes with the justification by faith and righteousness that we put on through Christ, and so we'll be kind of building to that point. But along those lines, I did want to ask the teenagers the question, given that we've we've studied a lot about this, and in particular the last couple weeks, I'd like you to ask yourself, if you were, if you were asked, right, by someone, uh, an unbeliever, how would you explain the righteousness or how a righteous God justifies sinners? So if you were asked, how would you answer that question? How does a righteous God justify sinners? You ought to be able to answer that question. And really, all of us in here this morning ought to be able to answer that question. So adults, I'd like you to think about that too. How would you, you answer that question? And, you know, we, we, we should be, I guess, self-challenged, for lack of a better word. We should all feel challenged to be able to have an answer to every man that asks us what? A reason of the hope that is in us, right? With meekness and, and fear. And I thought of 2 Timothy 2.15, and even though this isn't part of the message this morning, I did want to mention this verse. It's a powerful verse, and it's a powerful challenge to us, and it's something that I think as Christians that we should just always keep, you know, in front of our eyes and, and before us. Second Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. I think of how Brother Gurrett spoke several weeks ago about how God designed us and how he created us for work, right? You know, we rob ourselves of so many blessings when we're not willing to work. And that's certainly true in, the, in, the, in a physical sense, right? We'll be, you'll be homeless very fast if, you, if you're not willing to work, but it's, it's most certainly true in a spiritual sense, right? I mean, you, can even be, you can even be a saved person, and yet, if God's treasures and His precious book are, remain a secret to you, they're hidden treasures, right? They're, they're locked up and stored away. And that's certainly not God's desire and the will of God. So I like this verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, you know, this kind of goes without saying, but again, I think it's worth mentioning, study. We have to study. We have to earnestly labor Right? We have to exert ourselves, right? 
we have to set aside the time and, and uh, set aside the focus on God's Word, right? And exert ourselves mentally and physically studying the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Study to show thyself approved or accepted. I mean, we're already accepted, right? Because we're accepted in Christ. We're received. But that's not what the Bible is talking about here. It's talking about studying diligently and faithfully, not to please men, but that we would please God, that we would meet the approval of God by our diligent study of His Word. Amen. Amen. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. When I grew up, I mean, I I did a lot of yard work. You know, my parents always had, my stepdad was from the south, and he grew up on a farm. And even though, as my wife will say, a lot of it I didn't retain. (laughs) I'm not exactly a fix-it person, but... But he certainly was, and he always had a project for it. We did a lot of labor in the yard, you know, a lot of, a lot of digging. And uh, I remember my friend, one of my friends in high school, his dad was putting a, it was in Petaluma, on the east side of Petaluma, and he was putting a sprinkler system in his front yard, and he, he, uh, he did pay us for this on this occasion, but we dug trenches, like, throughout his, his yard, right, so that he could lay PVC pipe for the, the sprinkler system. But, you know, it, it, that was a lot of work, you know, and uh, it was backbreaking work. And I probably couldn't do that kind of work now, but, you know, as a young man, it felt good to do that kind of work. And looking back, it was, uh, it was such a, a character-building exercise, if you will, for, for, for me to do that, you know. And, um, and this is where I think of because... I think we deceive ourselves if we think that the scriptures, studying the scriptures are not work, right? It's work. And I remember our previous pastor, he used to always quote someone, I don't even remember who, who the quote was from, uh, but he would say concerning memorizing scripture, it was like digging ditches. And I can really relate to that because, as I mentioned, I dug a lot of ditches, you know? Uh, post holes and, and uh, sprinkler systems, and I dug a lot of ditches. And you know what? It is just such a, it's just such an uh, uh, invaluable comparison. It really rings true to me that, you know, if we're going to study the Word of God, we need to be a, a workman, a toiler, a laborer. It's studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word. It's like digging ditches. And you know what? That's okay. It's good for us, right? It's not going to hurt us. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Yes, not to be ashamed before men when we're asked a question as a uh, Christian and we have no idea how to answer that question. And uh, I know that does happen, right? But we ought to labor that, that we know God's word that that doesn't happen as much as possible but primarily that we're not ashamed before God, right? Ultimately, that's who we are accountable to, is it not? We're accountable to God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, and for those of you who are into construction, I think of all the construction work that Brother Petro has done, and when he was younger, I like the definition, or I like what this means. Rightly dividing, 
It means to make a straight cut. We don't want to look at the Word of God and make a cut like this, right? That systematically and so forth, it absolutely is incongruent and there's no continuity, right, of our interpretation of the Bible. We want to we have a clear belief system in the Word of God, a clear systematic theology as we study His. We want to make a straight cut, a clear cut. We want to dissect the Word of God correctly, right? Dissect, discern correctly. And, and this verse finishes up, the Word of Truth. And what is the Word of Truth? There's only one Word of Truth, right? The Word of God. The Scriptures of Truth from the God of all truth. Amen? Praise God. He's preserved His Word. So, I know that wasn't part of the <laughs> chapter 3, but uh, it just spoke to me this week, so I thought I'd share that. All right, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 3, and let's look at the first eight verses, and it's, it's said more or less that you can kind of break up Romans 3 into three separate sections, the first section being what we're going to look at today, Romans 3, verses 1 through 8, and uh, the second section would be 9 through 20, and then the third, 21, through the, the end of the chapter. So I'll read Romans 3, verses 1 through 8 to you now. What advantage... Then hath the Jew. Now remember, this is kind of picking up. We have the chapter break, but perhaps there shouldn't be one, right? Because it's going right from the end of chapter 2 where Paul is talking about the, uh, how circumcision doesn't profit, right, for the justification of the Jew. And then he goes right into chapter 3, right, to... to uh, to more or less, uh, I guess, explain um, explain the benefits of you know what benefits do the Jew, does the Jew have then right if if circum if they're not saved by circumcision and and so on and so forth right so Paul is going right into chapter three to explain I mean it seems pretty clear from Scripture that the Jews do have some advantages right. So if it's not for the justification of their soul, then what exactly are those advantages for, right? And is Paul correct in what he has said in Romans chapter 2? So we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, but let's read. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Verse 2, much every way, much, or many things, chiefly, because that unto them, that is the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, thou, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. Verse 6. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? 
For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And lastly, verse 8, And not rather, as we slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning, and it is such a privilege and opportunity every time we have a chance, the time to set apart and study your word together. And uh, we just cherish this time this morning, and we just pray that you'd speak to us through your blessed spirit and that you'd be glorified in our, in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first eight verses here, and of course, we won't, we won't get to them all, but in general, it speaks of, you can say it's, a, it's an argument for God's righteousness, right? To uphold God's righteousness. In the first part of Romans 3, verses 1 through 8, Paul, Apostle Paul, in anticipation of the Jews' objections to his assertions in Romans 2, in particular, his statements in verses 25 through 27, towards the end of the chapter, that if an uncircumcised Gentile were to fulfill the law perfectly, he would be justified before God, regardless of his circumcision, answers a series of questions. And the main point Paul established with the Jews in chapter 2 was that before the judgment seat of God, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision entered at all into the consideration for justification or condemnation. The judgment of God only takes into consideration the observance or the violation of God's moral law to the exclusion of all external advantages and disadvantages. We talked about that last week. Regarding our justification, our salvation, God is not a respecter of persons. And we didn't talk much about this, but it's an important point, right, of why the Gentiles are treated or on an equal footing or equal playing field, if you would, with the Jews before God. And that is because God is not a respecter of persons. Well, what does that mean, respecter of persons? It means that God is not partial. Not not when it comes to salvation, right? Not when it comes to a person's justification or righteousness before God. God is not partial. He doesn't play favorites. He's not prejudiced, right? Race and so forth excluded. Acts 10.34, the Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter, of persons. Remember when God showed Peter that? And he realized, hey, maybe God has opened up the, the door, has opened up to the gospel, right? To all, all people, right? To the Gentiles. Romans 2.11, for there is no respect of persons with God. Romans 3, 29 through 30, is he the God of the Jews only? 
Isn't God the creator of all men? Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. Verse 30, seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith, notice, by faith, and uncircumcision through faith. If the Gentiles were spiritually on equal footing with the Jew for their justification, having no advantage with God to this end, as Paul stated, then the first objection is raised by the Jew. And we shouldn't think this unusual, right? Because unsaved man, whose heart is corrupt, whose heart is carnal, wicked, the Bible says it's at enmity against God. What does that man do? He objects, right? He objects to divine truth. And he finds fault in it. All right, so objection number one. Objection number one. So you can, in these first eight verses, it's like a series of objections and then answers, right, by Paul. He brings up objections that the Jews might have, and then he answers them. So here in it, we find in Romans 3.1, objection number one. Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And on first look, that, that word advantage, it does mean advantage, right? It does mean just that. But if you look at the, the Greek, it means superabundance. So superabundance in quantity, superior in quality. In other words, exceedingly, abundantly, way beyond, right, what is needed. So we're talking about uh, super advantages here, if you will, right? What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? So what then is the advantage of being a Jew? That seems pretty natural, right? That a Jew would ask that after what Paul closed chapter 2 in. What then is the advantage of being a Jew? God's special covenant people if God's balance of judgment is not tilted in their favor to their justification? What benefit can the Jew receive from his religion? From his piety before the great I Am. What advantage, preeminence, or superiority does the Jew have over the Gentile? And what profit is there in circumcision if it does not save from sin? After all, God chose the Jews as a special people, conferring many miracles and blessings upon them, and has spoken with a great deal of respect for the Jews. Deuteronomy 33.29, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord. And it's important to remind ourselves that Israel was special because of the Lord. So when the Bible talks about saved by the Lord here, it's primarily speaking of in a providential and, and temporal sense. 
The Bible goes on to say the shield or the defense, right? Of thy help and who is the sword, that's the offense, of thy excellency. God made Israel excellent. And God declares them so here. God declares Israel is excellent. Did God ever do that to the Gentiles? Did he ever declare that the Gentiles were excellent? How were they described in the scriptures? Not too kindly, right? Not too pleasantly. Idolaters, right? Pagans, so forth. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Genesis 17, 7-8, we looked at this recently. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, blessing, the blessings of Israel, and God gave them a physical possession here. He gave them land, right? For an inheritance. We know from the word of God that God loved Abraham and met with him face to face. Abraham was the friend of God. Did not God institute circumcision as a seal of the Jews' covenant relation with him as his promise to the nation-state of Israel, to the commonwealth of Israel? Exodus 13:18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Remember that great miracle when God led the children of Israel out and they... He parted the Red Sea and they just got through in time and then and, and, and Pharaoh and his captains and his chariots are in hot pursuit and then what happens? Their time was up, right? God closed the, closed the window and closed the sea and it came crashing down upon, uh, upon the Egyptians there. Tremendous, tremendous blessings. Paul, these must mean something, right? I mean, God must have done this, done these things specifically for a reason. They must mean something, Paul. Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud. As the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, they weren't really wandering, though. God knew where they were, right? But as they wandered 40 years through the wilderness, what did God do? He gave them a pillar of a cloud by day, right? To lead the way, and by night, and a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. Can you recall any time in Scripture where God did this for the Gentiles? No. Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure or a special treasure 
we think of a precious jewel, right? And this is a statement in general that the Israel was a a precious treasure. Right? The Lord considered Israel wealth. His relationship with Israel is wealth. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So Israel was a peculiar treasure, the Bible says here. They were priests with God. Priests unto God. They were a holy nation. Exodus 16.35 And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years. What a faithful God we serve, huh? And how faithful God was to Israel here. For forty years God fed them in the wilderness. You ever been out in the wilderness? I mean the real wilderness where you might even be lost and you don't know which way is what? I remember hiking with my dad years ago when we were kids. This was like real like tent camping and hiking where you carry all your stuff with you. You pack it in and you pack it out. And I remember we were walking around the Point Reyes area for days and camping and it was quite the experience. But we got lost a few times. (laughs) There's not much out in the wilderness, right? It's not much there just what we had, right? Just what we had on us. God is so faithful. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. The place where God promised them and their, their place of rest. And it didn't much matter that the land was inhabited, Right? Before God, it wasn't it wasn't much of a of a stumbling block for God, right? Ex, or, uh, uh, sorry, uh, let's see. Uh, Joshua four twenty three. A couple, just a couple more verses I want to share with you. Joshua four twenty three. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up which he dried up from before us until we were gone over and we forget about this a lot of times because we think of the Red Sea but for Israel right to enter into the land of Canaan God had to dry up the Jordan for them right we think of God giving Joshua and Israel victory over the city of Jericho in Joshua 6, verses 20 through 21, causing the great wall surrounding the city to fall flat at the sound of the trumpets on the seventh day. Remember that? Or in Joshua 10, verses 13 through 14, when God caused the sun to stand still. In answer to Joshua's prayer, in order to give Israel the victory over the five Ammonite kings at Gibeon. The Bible says God fought for Israel, killing more Ammonites by hailstones than were killed in battle. 
by the sword. Jeremiah 30, 22, And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. So getting back to the objection here that's raised in verse 1, does not the leveling doctrine, let's call it, which Paul stated in chapter 2, what is this leveling doctrine that I'm talking about? That Paul states much more eloquently than I can. <laughs> it's that Jew and Gentile are on equal footing for their justification with God. This is that leveling doctrine. The Jew and Gentile alike must be circumcised in heart, obeying God's moral law perfectly to receive eternal life, excluding circumcision. God is a righteous judge and also no respecter of persons for the Jews, for the Gentiles. And we know, we know that this is hypothetical because it's an if and we know that no Gentile or Jew can keep the moral law perfectly. But we're not talking about salvation by grace here. Paul's not talking about salvation by grace here. What he's trying to do is show the Jews that they are not saved by being a Jew, that they're not saved by the law, that they're not saved by the external blessing of circumcision. And that if they were to be saved, they would have no advantage over any other peoples. So, does not this leveling doctrine which Paul stated in chapter 2, and which we just discussed, deny the Jews of all such privilege, privileges and advantages by God and make the ordinance of circumcision a fruitless, insignificant act? How can this be so, Paul? How could this be so, right? What kind of hateful doctrine are you proclaiming against your Jewish countrymen? So it's extremely important that Paul answers this objection, right? Paul wouldn't have been a very likable character, right? Likable person, for one. Right? But two, it could possibly hinder the, the gospel, right? By the Jews just outright dismissing the gospel. So in answer to objection number one, Paul answers the first anticipated objections in Romans 3.2. So it's like we have an objection, right, in, in verse one, we have an answer in verse two. Objection in verse three, an answer in verse four, and so on, right, through the first eight verses. So what does Paul say in Romans 3.2 in answer to this objection? The Bible says, much every way. What are, the, what are the, advantage of the advantages of the Jews as a people? Paul says, much, every way. The circumcised Jew had many superior advantages over the uncircumcised Gentile. They didn't have all advantages, though, right? But they had many. However, though the, Jew, however, though the Jews, God's chosen covenant people, received very great, and extremely considerable advantages 
from God, these advantages did not, nor could they, justify the Jew before God to the saving of his soul, to the saving of their souls. Notwithstanding, the Jews were greatly privileged and honored by God through substantial means and aids and helps that no other nation but the Jews received. The Jews had the particular care of God to the exclusion of all other nations, as well as the effectual stirring of the Spirit to salvation of many of their souls. But like Matthew Henry said, he said the Jews had the means of salvation, but they had not the monopoly of salvation. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 12, 41 through 42, I'd just like to show you some, some Old, Testament saints, uh, Old Testament saints, Old Testament Gentiles that were saved. That's Matthew 12, 41 and 42. And uh, we have the authority here of Jesus' own words. Matthew 12, verses 40. Or sorry, 41 and 42. The Bible says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the pre- preaching of Jonas. Of Jonah, right? And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. And who is that? Jesus, right? Verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the generation, with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So we have the queen of the south, a saved Gentile saint, Old Testament. We have the people of Nineveh, Right? Remember Jonah? He didn't want to go <laughs> preach to them. He tried to, he tried to fight against God, which is always a losing proposition. The Bible says in Romans chapter nine, verses four through five, "Who who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? That is the national adoption as a nation, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises." Whose are the fathers, and of whom are as concerning the flesh, Christ came. I mean, what a blessing for Christ to come from your people, the Savior. He did not come from the Gentiles, right? He came from Israel, from the Israelites, from the Jews. Who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. So in Romans 2, and we are going to have to close, we're not going to be able to finish, much every way, Paul says, chiefly, or the principal advantage, that's far superior to all other advantages the Jews receive from God, because that unto them, unto the Jews, were committed, were entrusted with the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? The utterances, if you look up that word oracle, it actually means utterance, to utter. The utterances or communications of God in this context from the mouth of God. 
His decrees and ordinances. His instructions, His revelations, His promises. For example, the promise of sending Jesus Christ into the world. His plans and providence. His attributes, His character. Who God is. Everything we need to know about God. Not everything there is to know about God, but everything we need to know about God. His will, and so on and so forth. God entrusted his oracles with the Jews who had the distinct honor of keeping these sacred texts written in their own language. What language was the Bible written in? Was it written in English? No. The Old Testament scriptures we're talking about here. Was it written in, I don't know what your native language is. Was it written in Spanish? <laughs> no, it was written in the language of the Jews. The utterances or communications of God from the mouth of God, his decrees and ordinances, instructions, revelations, promises, providences, plans, attributes. We said that God entrusted his oracles with the Jews who had the distinct honor of keeping these sacred texts. They were, they were the librarians for these sacred texts, right? They were the God's depository, the Jewish nation. Maintaining God's witness to man. They had that responsibility, right? For themselves, but ultimately for the world, who were most faithful to guard, protect, and preserve his word, that not one iota, that not one jot, not one tittle, was removed or added to it by the grace of God. The Gentiles had no part in this honor and blessing. We're going to have to close right now. I have a lot more for you, or at least a little bit more. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time, again, to study your word. And we just pray that you would speak to our hearts. Um, we trust you spoke to our hearts this morning, but we pray even after we go that you would take these words and, and use them as you see fit and build us up in the faith to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org